Welcome to the Fire the Family podcast. Did you know the average American is behind on their retirement savings? Imagine if your family could learn to budget, save, and invest enough to become financially independent. I'm here to show you through my own experience exactly how you can get on the path to financial independence and reach retirement on or before the age of 65. From age 19 to 28, Kayla and I have been married for nine years, had three boys, and earned four degrees combined with no student loan debt, and have taken our household income from zero to over $130,000 a year. We both want to invite you to firethefamily.com, where we have free tools and resources that you can use to get started on your financial independence journey. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, welcome to episode 27 of the Fire the Family podcast. I'm Nick. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I don't have a lot planned for this episode. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground. We're going to talk a little bit about this last weekend and a trip that my wife and I took. We're going to talk a little bit about the coronavirus. Not super long because I'm sure if you're anything like me, you're kind of tired of hearing about it. Um, But we are going to touch on it because I happen to live in Washington State and a lot of news is not doing a very good job at reporting what's going on in the state of Washington. So we're going to touch on that a little bit. We're going to talk about the stock market um, setting records in the wrong direction today and that circuit breaker that it tripped early this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about that and I'm going to tell you guys what I'm doing with my investments, which isn't a lot. And um, we might cover a couple other things along the way. Just to get started, uh, today's been a kind of a crazy day. I uh, was at work and about eight or nine o'clock this morning, my foot just started hurting like super bad. It was getting all like um, swollen and my shoe was irritating it. Well, I talked about my son and I starting judo about two months ago, uh, first week or so of January. And... um, during this, during that time, I've gotten a couple like nicks and scratch, scratches and bruises and things like that, and it hasn't been a big deal. Um, but I got one on my foot uh, on Thursday last week, and it would have been the first week of March, and um, it was normal, just like the other ones I've gotten. It looked like it was going to scab, possibly have a small scar, not a big deal. Um, everything was going fine. Didn't even think about it. Um, obviously, like a shower after judo, I'm super clean. Um, shower every day. Uh, usually when I get cuts like that, I'll just throw some peroxide on it or Neosporin and put a bandaid on. I kind of forgot to do that on this one. And then my wife and I went out of town on Friday and we were busy all weekend in Quarter Lane, Idaho. And this morning my freaking foot started hurting so bad. And so, um, I like I took my shoe off, I took my sock off and it was like swollen. And so I obviously like I started freaking out a little bit. I have some minor minor health anxiety. And so um, if you've ever heard the term hypochondriacism or being a hypochondriac, my parents used to always use that term really loosely to describe my grandma. Um, And now I actually know what that means as an adult that has it myself. And it's really just anxiety, Um, anxiety about your own health, about the doctors, about medical practice in general, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's not super extreme, but I definitely go down the rabbit hole uh, further than I should. Well, I'd pretty much diagnosed myself and um, was getting kind of concerned because it was getting worse as the the day went on. Um, Well, luckily, I have access to a service called Teladoc. And I used to make fun of this when they announced it as a benefit at my work. And I was like, what the heck is Teladoc? Like, it sounds like a scam. And like, am I seriously going to take pictures or have a live webcam with a doctor and they're actually going to be 
able to diagnose me because half the time when I go to urgent care, they'll diagnose me with something and they'll be completely wrong. Like, especially with our kids, like, uh, one, one good example is we took one, uh, my youngest son in, um, uh, about a year ago and we knew for sure, my wife knew for sure he had hand, foot and mouth. And she's seen it. She's a teacher. She's taught preschool for five years or so. She's been teaching kindergarten this last year. Like she, she knows what it looks like. I, I believe my, one of my oldest kids ha, had had it too. So anyways, the doctor's like, that's definitely not hand, foot and mouth. There's no way that's hand, foot and mouth. It's whatever he called it. I don't remember. And then we went to his actual doctor, his primary care doctor the next day. And she's like, that's definitely hand, foot and mouth. And it's just a small anecdotal example that a lot of the urgent care doctors, I just put almost zero trust in unless it's really something simple like a sinus infection or bronchitis or something that you can just like tell like, Hey, yeah, that's definitely what you have. So here comes this service. That's like a webcam service through an app on your phone called Teladoc. And I was just like, this is a joke. Well, last year in May of 2019, I got pink eye, which is kind of a whole funny story in itself. And we may or may not go into that someday. Um, but, uh, I did, I got pink eye and, um, uh, I ended up like desperately, I was traveling and I desperately needed like to see a doctor. And so I was like, okay, I'll give this teledoc a, a, a chance. And I submitted pictures and uh, long story short, I, they gave me, they diagnosed it. Um, they gave me antibiotics and I was fine like two days later. Right. And so I was like, okay, cool. This is something I can, my foot is something I can use teledoc for. So I took a couple screen caps of it set for a, an appointment as soon as possible. Waited about an hour. They gave me a phone call, a doctor from my state, uh, chatted with him on the phone. Really nice professional dude. Um, he looked at my pictures, asked me a couple questions and I was like, dude, I've got, it's, it's swollen. It's red. Um, it's got some, like a couple of red streaks coming off of it, going like up my ankle. And that's like, definitely like kind of, kind of like where you want to get a little, get a little bit concerned. It's a little bit more serious. And he's like, he told me basically what it was. Cellulitis gave me a prescription. I went up and picked it up, um, about 15 minutes later from the local, uh, grocery store pharmacy. So what I have to say, the reason that that's kind of important is that like 2020 is awesome. Like technology can be really useful. It can be really helpful. It can be really efficient. Um, I don't have to take time off work to go to the doctor, which saves me money. Uh, every hour that I'm at work, I'm not just being hourly paid, but being on commission is super important. And there's times where, um, if I miss a phone call, then I might miss out on a deal that could net me uh, hundreds or thousands of dollars commission. And so, um, it's really important that I don't miss work as, as much as possible. So with that being said, um, we'll see. I got the I got the antibiotics. Well, hopefully it'll help. Um, I absolutely hate taking antibiotics or any medication whatsoever, and it's, it takes everything I have to do to not go down the rabbit hole and like Google this stuff and and see if the antibiotic in a, the medicine they gave me itself is like safe to take. And that's just my health anxiety creeping up. So that's what I've been dealing with up until about 20, 30 minutes ago. And, um, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. So glad that I'm hopefully on the mend for that. Um, the foot's definitely, um, definitely not as bad as it was a little bit ago. And that's probably just because I had it elevated and, and whatnot. But anyways, on to the next subject. Um, this weekend, Kayla and I went on a marriage retreat. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing because some of you might be interested in this. Um, a lot of you might not be. Um, the, the average listener to the podcast here is between the ages of 24 and 34. So good number you might be married or be in a long-term relationship. Um, so I think it's apl applicable to at least um, mention it. Um, so we did this through our church. Uh, Kayla and I are Christians and we were raising our family uh, to be a Christian family. And that is um, just a choice that we made when we were young. Um, Kayla was brought up a, uh, in a Lutheran church. I was brought up without going to church. Uh, when we started dating in high school, um, I started going to her church and then I was baptized about two years later. And then uh, we joined the military, went to Wichita, Kansas and went to a church down there. Long story short, 
fast forward, um, we now go to a non-denominational Christian church. So um, we signed up through that. We've been kind of wanting lately to get plugged in with some other couples, other people that have kids um, that are in a similar situation because we had kids at like 20, started having kids at 21. And so um, we just didn't have a lot in common with a lot of people our age that we went to high school with and, and people that we met that we worked with um, that don't have kids. And so um, we figured it'd be kind of neat to get out of our shell a little bit, meet some new people, um, and really see kind of what um, you know what this retreat could do for our marriage, if it could benefit it, or um, maybe shine a light on some areas of improvement. And I was giving Kayla kind of a hard time leading up to it because I'm open for pretty much anything. Like I'm, I'm pretty flexible. I'm pretty open-minded and, um, I definitely want to have the best possible relationship with her as I, as I can. And I want to be the best dad and the best husband. Um, it's kind of part of my nature to just be, try to be the best at everything that I, uh, that I, that I do. And, um, raising a family is no different running a household is no different. So, um, I was excited about it a little bit, just um, one, because it was at a four-star resort in Quarter Lane, Idaho, which we have um, never stayed overnight in. It's a couple hours away and um, just a neat uh, neat hotel right on the lake and um, really nice area, you know, multi-million dollar mansions on the lake, um, lots of boats and yachts and, and just cool stuff, lots of breweries and things to do in the nearby uh, neighborhood. And so uh, we went on that trip and it actually turned out to be really awesome. It was really just a Bible study in the morning and the evening. Most of the rest of the day was free time. Uh, we started the very first activity we did was like an hour of Krav Maga, which is like self-defense. And it's kind of like, it was kind of fun. Uh, I've got to hold a pad and she got to take out some anger and punch and kick it and whatnot. Um, but it was a lot less marriage counseling than I thought it would be and more just like um, reading the word and um doing that kind of stuff. So, uh, it was really great. We had a good time. We had a good trip. It was nice to go overnight, uh, away from the boys, uh, for a few nights. Um, that's really important. Uh, after having three kids, uh, we, after, well, after, after the second one, after Brody, we, um, decided that it was kind of important for us to, uh, to go on a trip together every six to nine months or so, um, where we stay at least overnight we go out of the, out of town a little bit. Um, and uh, just kind of reset the batteries and uh, reprioritize our priorities and refocus. And it's so easy to get distracted and to lose focus when you have uh, three little boys um, running around your house. Um, it can definitely turn out to be like ships passing in the night with each other. And um, we're just kind of so both in our own routine working full time that um, sometimes some things slip, slip out, right? Sometimes in the marriage, um, things just kind of take a back burner and um, definitely uh, don't want that to happen. So we had a really good trip, uh, long story short there. Um, and I'm really thankful for the time that we spent together and I'm glad to be back in town. I am exhausted. And, uh, today was just a really, uh, I was really tired today at work. Um, so the next thing we're going to cover is the S and P 500, um, down closed down today. What? Seven and a half percent. I woke up this morning at like five 30, was reading some news articles and saw that things were already not going so well in the pre-market. And then uh, definitely not going well overseas. And uh, the ultimately, the, uh, the Dow sunk like 2,000 points, which is marking like one of the worst uh, days in the history of the stock market. And uh, it's just not good stuff. And so what I think we're seeing here is a lot of fear and hysteria, but also um, the fact that China, basically the market of the world and the market, the, um, the factory of the world has basically shut down for about a month or longer. And we're starting to see the effects of that. Um, obviously, in the last one of the last episodes, we talked about um, Apple and being the first company to really announce that it's it's um, being affected by the the shutdowns uh, related to the coronavirus. 
and um, most every other you know tech company is feeling it as well. Um, things like trade and um, ship shipments and just pretty much the entire global marketplace is being slowed down by this. Um, and whether or not it's just uh, proactiveness on the part of governments or extreme reactiveness like China, um, I think now Italy is like almost half of Italy is on complete lockdown. It's like 60 million, million people or something like that. Um, it's just crazy stuff, guys. Um, I think that uh, the coronavirus is definitely something that, um, you know, needs to be, uh, people need to be concerned with, um, need to be cautious about, and the governments are all, you know, the world governments are all really paying attention to it. And, um, I, I think locally there is some, there's some things that are going on that aren't uh, being reported completely accurately. And just a couple podcasts I listened to myself, um, we're talking about Washington state. Um, they're not living in Washington state and the way they were talking about it was pretty much false and inaccurate. And so I want to talk a little bit about that as well. And really the data and the information we have is only as good as the people reporting it. And, um, the, the testing itself is there's a shortage in tests. There's not a lot of people being tested. And so we have this really high death rate, which is obviously scary, but I don't think it's telling us the right, the right picture. Uh, but before that, let's talk a little bit about investment strategy. Um, I'm not changing anything, even though we're, the market is continuing to drop. Um, it's not looking so great, but my last contribution I uh, checked this morning went through on March 2nd or March 3rd and um, it's my automatic contribution to my 401k account and that comes every month uh, when I get paid and usually it's a day or two delayed after my paycheck, uh, usually the first day or two of the, the next month and it auto con contributes, it auto purchases VTSAX and two other Vanguard, uh, Vanguard Growth and Vanguard uh, Small Cap Growth and um yeah, it's auto allocated to, to invest in those no matter what the weather is. And so I'm not planning on making any changes to that. I'm not increasing or decreasing or reallocating or changing my allocations um, because over the course of 30, 20, 30 years, um, that money is just going to keep doing its thing. Um, we're going to have things like this. We're going to have wars. We're going to have um, maybe potential meteors. We're going to have um, presidents that don't do so well. We're going to have um, there's all sorts of things that could potentially cause the fear and panic that we're seeing and cause a market sell-off. So we are currently, I think, in the correction territory. It doesn't take much more to become a, a full-blown recession. I think we have to let some time pass. We have to get into uh, quarter two of the year and see kind of how that's going to go. But um, already uh, companies and governments are um, trying to realign expectations with this delayed in growth. And so right now they're saying best case scenario is the rest of 2020 remains light, likely remains flat, which is not good. Um, and so it's more likely, I would say that we maybe have just have a down year, which um, that would be a, uh, if GDP does not grow uh, for two consecutive quarters, that is typically the definition of the broad definition of a recession. And, um, you know, the Marxist might be what happens. And if it does, don't freak out, don't panic sell. Don't uh, don't do anything crazy. Just stay with the plan and know that any time you allocate money to your investments in a down market, when that market recovers, you're um, you're not going to be you're not going to regret that you made that decision. So for me personally, I can't give you you know actual advice that um, 
that I think you should act on. I think it's a really safer bet to say it's a, really take a do nothing approach, maybe save a little more cash, maybe not spend so much money, maybe not go out and buy a new pair of shoes or go out to eat and blow a bunch of money uh, in the coming weeks and months and maybe just uh, sit on a little more cash than usual. Um, and I would do that myself for buying opportunities for any sort of um, you know, continued fire sales in the market that could uh, continue to perpetuate here. And um, I think at the end of the day, uh, I'm not worried about it. I'm not happy about it. I'm definitely not happy. A lot of people are saying that it's a buying opportunity. It's um, There's a lot of excitement. I would say it's a buying opportunity, but I would say that it's kind of a somber one. I mean, people are dying from this thing. Um, it's not just the coronavirus driving this drop in the market, though. Um, people don't seem to realize that there's a huge oil price war going on, and I think oil prices dropped uh, to a lower point than they have since the Gulf War. Hopefully that's an accurate statement, but I think that's what I read today, um, which is kind of concerning. And while gas prices are going to go a lot lower for the consumer, um, it's going to hurt a lot of uh, U.S. industry. And I think they lowered, Saudi Aramco lowered the credit outlook for U.S. shale producers, which um, because of their being over leveraged, severely over leveraged, which means they're built a lot on debt. And um, I, I don't understand much more than that, other than there's a lot of moving pieces going on around the world other than the coronavirus. And so um, you mix those things together and it's a it's a really interesting um, uh perfect storm for these things to occur. And I think that it continues. Um, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a predictor of stock stock market movements, but I do think that we are, we're prime for a correction and the environment, uh, presented itself for that. And that's what's happened. Um, so that being said, uh, I will be contributing to, uh, 401k with auto allocations and as well as my Roth IRA, I'm probably going to increase, uh, contributions to the Roth um, for the next couple months, depending on how, what the market does, and um, maybe get to that $6,000 uh, Roth IRA limit a little bit faster this year than, uh, than I normally would. And that's about all the activity that I'm planning on taking. And uh, so I hope I wish you all the best of luck on that. Um, and just don't make any broad sweeping, like rash emotion-driven decisions. Uh, Mr. Market is not happy, and Mr. Market is afraid of the coronavirus. If you know the Mr. Market story, it's out of The Intelligent Investor. Uh, Benjamin Graham talks about... Um, he has a parable kind of about, I'm not sure if he's the one that originated it. I know that the parable and the story is in that, in that book. And one of my favorite books about uh, investing and you'll learn a lot. If you can make it front to back in that book, you might not be able to under, understand it right away, but if you can make it front to back uh, and do it maybe once or twice a year, you will, uh, you'll learn an awful lot about the stock market and investing in general and just um, really fundamental practices. So I, I highly recommend it. I have a full review on the website, firethefamily.com. And if you Google, Google the intelligent investor uh, book review. I'm like one of the top results the last time I looked. And so um, definitely check that out. Um, but with the Mr. Market parable is essentially like one every day you wake up, Mr. Market's going to offer you a price um, for your uh, shares of, you know, of uh, if you want to buy shares of the market. And he's going to offer, sometimes he's going to offer you a price that's way higher than the market uh, should be valued at. And sometimes it's going to be way lower, just depending on his emotional state. And he's overreactive. He's kind of a manic uh, personality. And so when things are going great, they're going really great. And when things are going bad, they're going really bad. And, and Mr. Market is just a metaphor for the entire kind of hive mind of the U.S. market. 
and um, how people react to things in the news and different things that are happening um, in the investing world. And so um, what we're seeing right now is a lot of people selling and the market is obviously going down like crazy. The Fed cut rates again, and um, which is interesting because I'm not convinced that the reason people, you know, that the reason people aren't putting money into the market is because they can't afford the loan. The mar- the rates are already at all time lows or like lows for the last decade, um, around three percent. So cutting them lower than that. Um, I don't know, maybe it does things that I don't understand, but from a consumer standpoint, um, it's not really driving me to make any large changes. We're not going to refinance our house. Uh, we're actually going looking to build a house um, possibly in the next year or so. And so I'm gathering some information on that. Um, and being a veteran, I have access to the VA loan. And so definitely looking about how that works. Um, and rates are super duper low. So um, definitely not a terrible time to do those things. But it was something that we were already looking at doing and we're not changing the timeline on that at all. So a couple mouthfuls there. Um, I love watching the stock market. It's just super fascinating to me and being an active participant in it, um, is, is even more fascinating because I can kind of watch people's, um, emotional states around me um, when they read the news. Cause like when my wife reads the headlines um, and her reaction to that is a lot different than when I read the headlines and have a reaction to it. And that's a lot different than the people I work with and so on and so forth. So it's just, I find it fascinating to, to hear people's positions and their thoughts and their concerns and their fears and uh, watch that play out over time. And the more of these cycles that you live through and that you see, uh, the more stable, I think you can manage it emotionally and um, and make intelligent decisions based on it. And if I was sitting on a whole pile of cash right now, I'd probably be um, buying more VTSAX or um, a diversified REIT portfolio possibly. But I definitely think we could go down even further than where we're at. Um, but uh, I mean, we could also we could also start a recovery if coronavirus starts, you know, going down. Uh, if cases start going down uh, quickly, um, if the oil price thing is re- is fixed or whatever needs to be done with that, I mean, we could possibly see a, a small recovery. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep our eyes on it, and if anything major happens, uh, we will continue to talk about it and see uh, what uh, an average person, an average family uh, like us, are are doing amongst that. Um, so on to the next subject, um, I want to talk a little bit about the coronavirus and I guess I saved the best part for last, um, Washington state, I live in Eastern Washington. And so we are over the cascades about three hours from Seattle and that whole Seattle, um, area made up of just a whole bunch of cities and suburbs. And, um, the initial cases in Washington were broke out at a nursing home facility or a a life care facility, a place, a building that houses a lot of old people that are already really sick or immune compromised. And that was the first like dozen cases in Washington. Right. And then the first quite a few deaths that we've had, I think we're up to like 17 or 18 deaths at this point in Washington. And the majority of them have been at this life care facility or have been other older, elderly, um, immune compromised, sick, chronically sick people. Um, there have not been, I don't think there have been any kids that have died or had severe complications in Washington state. Um, and I, I think the youngest person might've been 50 so far in the state that have had it. Um, and there's definitely like a lot of responses going on right now. All the school districts are putting out information. All the counties are consistently confirming that they don't have cases or they do have cases. Spokane County, um, which is closer to us about two hours away. 
has confirmed that they don't have any cases whatsoever. There was a case at a casino about an hour away from us and kind of a funny story. A lady I work with, her husband had met with this guy's son and the son had just gotten out of quarantine. And so it's like, oh no, it's already in our backyard. Uh, but the reality is, is that there's nothing we can really do about it. Um, we can, you can avoid going to the store. You can, um, stay at home. You can work from home and those things are definitely going to help. Um, but the way that it spreads, it's, it's got such a long, uh, quiet period, incubation period of at least 14 to 21 or so days. It can live on metal surfaces for three or four weeks at a time. And, um, it's just something that's really difficult to, to stop the spread of, especially if you get a late start on it. And so, but what we're seeing is that there's a shortage of test kits, right? So they're not able to put out enough test kits. So there's a ton of anecdotal stories coming out now on Twitter and uh, on news articles in my region where people are super sick and they're like, this one I was reading the other day or yesterday, she uh, got a, uh, her lungs just got like really congested and it was like basically like she woke up with pneumonia and she, her face wasn't congested. She didn't have any of the telltale like first signs that you get when you get like a cold. Um, I w- didn't, she said, didn't feel like the flu. Um, and, uh, she had a fever of like 103. So she was calling the hotline to like get tested and to let them know that she's sick with, with what could potentially be the coronavirus and, um, or COVID-19, right? And they refused to see her. Um, she sat on a, on a wait line for 30 minutes at a time, like three or four different times as that, um, uh, before she got disconnected, she finally got a hold of somebody somehow. And they were ba- in the local like county government. And they were basically like, uh, unless you're like, dying, like we're not going to test you. We don't have enough test kits. Um, if it's severe enough, you've got to just go in and, and, and see your doctor. Um, the e- they're shying people away from going to the ER uh, because you're going to sit in that waiting room and they're not equipped. Most There's only like six facilities in the whole United States that are even equipped to deal with um, with quarantining properly. Um, and there's a bunch of people in a hospital that are immune compromised. She was basically told to just stay home. And so it'd been like four or five days at this point, And she was like already starting to feel a little bit better. So she'll never actually know the moral of the story. Is she won't actually know if she had the coronavirus because like 80 or something percent of the cases in China are really mild. And so, um, there's a lot of people that may be getting it that aren't able to be tested, even though they want to be, they're self-identifying, they're reaching out to the government like they're supposed to be. Um, and they're just not getting tested. And so as of March 4th or 5th, there was only like 210 tests that had even been con- uh, even been, um, that even happened in Washington state. Right. So if you take the, the 14, 15, 16, 17 deaths that we've had in the state and you look that, look at that against the amount of tests, it's like, Oh my goodness, this death rate is like four, five, 6%. Um, well, I think if you were actually start expanding those tests out to all the people that, um, are sick, uh, and showing first signs of symptoms that that death rate is going to go down a lot lower. There's some charts out there, uh, looking at the countries that have, um, uh, how much they've tested and how many people have actually died from the illness. And there's a, it looks to be like a relationship between the more tests that they've administered, uh, the less their, the lower their death rate is. And that makes sense because not everybody's going to die from it. Um, and so, if you're only testing people with severe, severe complications, it's likely you're going to have a really high death rate. That's just, I'm not a doctor, but that's just, uh, um, that's just basic statistics, right? I've taken a whole bunch of statistics courses and I can tell you that, uh, that if you only, if you only are testing people with severe complications, it's likely you're going to have a higher death rate. And so that's something that's really interesting and should probably be taken into um, account. And, um, good example is my middle child got the flu in January and he tested positive for it. 
And the next, after that appointment, the doctor uh, told us, our whole family to come in, all five of us to come in and get tested. Um, well, it would be four of us because the fifth already tested positive. So we had to go to the doctor, get tested the next day. We all tested negative, right? So right there in one family, you have one positive and four negatives. If that was the coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus, then you would have one illness, like one positive test, right? They likely wouldn't have tested all three of us. They would have just put us in quarantine um, for 14 days and and checked us for fevers and symptoms. And so I think that there's a, a lot of um, logic at play that says that once they start initiating more tests, which University of Washington looks like they set a lab up already and are supposed to be able to handle like over a thousand tests per day. So I think we're going to start seeing some better data coming out about that. And if I pull up the map right now, it looks like we've got 17 deaths in King County with 83 confirmed cases um, with one recovered and 65 active cases. In Snohomish County, we've had one death, 31 confirmed cases, and 30 active cases. Um, we don't have any in my local town. Um, we've got one confirmed, one active about an hour away from us. And then um, it looks like California is kind of getting a lot there, right? So um, it's just interesting to pay attention to. Uh, the site that I'm on doesn't list how many tests they've actually made. Um, but uh, um, I am assuming that it's increasing um, as fast as they can get those test kits out. It looks like the Bill Gates uh, Foundation is funding um, funding a company to get that going a little bit faster. So it's kind of my two cents on the coronavirus, COVID-19. I'm really not worried about it. I live in a pretty rural town, and um, I can work from home if I need to. And um, I'm pretty sure... Uh, based on what it looks like the symptoms and stuff are like, I'm pretty healthy. My whole family is very, fairly healthy. It's really not affecting kids. Like it is, um, older adults. And that was another thing on the pod, this other podcast I was listening to this morning. They swore up and down. It was like, it was affecting kids and the elderly. And it's like, that's not even correct. Um, it's not really affecting the kids, which is kind of mystifying to a lot of experts, like why it's just leaving the kids uh, alone. And I'll just say this, that if I were to create a virus in a lab, I would probably spare the kids as well. And that's your conspiracy theory for the episode. Um, we won't talk any more about that. I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, that's basically all I had for you guys. I've got um, you know some really good ideas about where I want to take the podcast. I'm going to probably kick into season three here pretty soon. I don't know if you guys can tell like what season we're in, if it displays that on the podcast podcast app that you're using. Um, but, uh, I like doing the episodes where I can just chat with you. It's not super structured. It's not necessarily based on a recent pa blog, blog, um, post that I had made. And I can, I've got some interest in getting some other people on the show as well to do some interviews. I just had to get my channel to a point that it was actually like um, getting traffic and we are getting uh, quite a bit of traffic. Um, it's growing pretty fast. So I appreciate everyone that listens, that subscribes and rates the podcast. Um, let me know um, if it's going to be negative feedback. Just shoot me an email. Go to my website, firethefamily.com. Go to contact us and just shoot me an email with your negative feedback. And I would definitely appreciate it. Give me a chance to correct it or improve. And then you can leave me a better feedback on uh, the Apple App Store or Spotify or wherever else that you can find uh, the Fire the Family podcast. So thank you so much. And if if um, I've got two people lined out that are probably going to come on um, in the near future. And if I can't get a guest, you might get my wife, which I've really been wanting to get her on. We just she started her master's degree and she's been super busy. Um, but I really am planning on getting her on here as well. And maybe some close friends of mine that have some interesting point of views on uh, personal finance. So uh, thank you so much for spending time with me today. 
And uh, I hope that the week finds you well. I hope that you avoid the coronavirus. Don't go on any uh, cruise ships anytime soon. Um, Try not to fly in an airplane. And if you get a sore on your foot that gets infected, go see a doctor or use Teladoc. Um, So thank you so much again. And uh, I'll catch you guys on the next episode.